It is now time for Ant and Nick to press play. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ant and Nick Press Play. Yes, hello, everyone. I'm Nick. And I am, as always, Ant. And we're back with Crime Traveller. Here we go. I don't know who listened to The Vanishing Man one or how easy it was to digest, but thanks if you did. Have you got analytical data? What, of who listens to it? I'll tell yeah. you who doesn't listen to it. What? My wife. Ah. I always say to her, oh, have you heard the latest one? Yeah. It's up there now. She goes, no, I haven't got time to listen to that. No, I, yeah. Thanks. Same with my girlfriend. But for those who do, we're back with Crime Traveller, episode six. We're nearly there. There's only two more to go after this. We are well into it, and we are enjoying every single morsel that we can get from our very favourite crime-travelling duo. Yeah. Hey, it may have only gone for one series, but we're certainly getting the most out of it, aren't we? We have milked those others dry. (laughs) So, right, there's a few things been happening since we last spoke. Number one, things have been happening in the world of Doctor Who. I know this is not a Doctor Who podcast, but two things have happened in the last week. Mm. Very topical for when this is released and it's all outdated already. Mm. Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall have announced that they're both leaving. So after this season, we'll get a new Doctor. But we've also got a new showrunner, or not. Mm. (laughs) Because Russell T. Davis has stepped back into the breach, which is cool. It's like going back to the uni days or something. It's It's weird. We've gone back in time. Back in time. Anyway, that's not what I was going to talk about. What has also happened is they've been animating some missing episodes from the 60s bit by bit, and they've just started doing the most incomplete ones. So, like, full, all episodes are missing. It's nice that they're doing that, isn't it? I mean, it's it's the only way that a lot of these episodes will be completed. I think we're starting to realise. Yeah. And they've just released a fan favourite, The Evil of the Daleks, an old Patrick Troughton story with quite sophisticated animation, and it's... Um, Seems to have gone down quite well. But it got me thinking, right? (laughs) Just going back to The Vanishing Man. It got me thinking. It's easier to watch an episode of Doctor Who that was incinerated 50 years ago. (laughs) Than it is to watch The Vanishing Man. Yeah. You can get more different versions of Evil of the Daleks than there were episodes of Vanishing Man. I mean, I take it you haven't had much success in, in locating the, the VHS series copies. No, no, I haven't. Mm. I um, I got one notification to say that there was a VHS on eBay. Yes. And, well, I got two, actually. I got two notifications, and I thought, this is brilliant. Let's see which ones they are. But one, it was two notifications for the same listing. And also, it was the one I'd already got. Yeah. But no, I keep looking. Nothing's turning up so far. One day, so one stay day. tuned. And... <laughs> The other bit of news is that um, <laughs> some of our tweets were liked by none other than Nicky Robson himself, Richard Dempsey. We are on his radar. Oh, I'll tell you what, it was terrifying getting that notification to say he'd read it. So we've got to be careful now. I do not want to hear a bad word about Richard Dempsey, Nicky Robson. Or any of that. We are a Nicky Robson appreciation fan podcast from now on. Well, as we know, Richard Dempsey is perhaps one of my favourite actors of all time. (laughs) 
we've got to delete some episodes. Yeah, so anyway, we better get on with the episode. Death Minister. It's a very eerie episode title, to be honest. It's uh, a bit weird. Is it meant to be a play on words or is it meant to reference anything? If you put Death Minister into Google, this is pretty much all that comes up as an actual sentence. Is it meant to sound like Yes Minister? <laughs> is it meant to be a pun? Death Minister, Yes Minister, yeah, it's got to be. Um, it seemed a bit demon headmaster, Prime Minister's brain. Yeah. That sort of thing, to be honest. I, I thought, you know, it, it conjured up a, a lot more sinister things than, and we'll get into it, than what it actually entailed. <laughs> than what it is, yeah. <laughs> well, my first thought was like... Um, it almost sounded like a character from Red Dwarf or something, like some sort of being yeah. that's like, I am the Death Minister, Rimmer, or whatever, you know. So, this was broadcast on the 5th of April, 1997. Yeah. Three days after The Vanishing Man. Wow. And we start... We start... <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a cold open. It's like the VCR has just started recording... Like it did back in the day, you know, where you'd just be like, oh, I've joined the episode late. Uh, what's happened? <laughs> yeah, God, I was going through some old VHS and the amount of like half programs there is on there. Wow. We start in a dark warehouse with four shady characters. They look like comedy gangsters, don't they? Yes. Like there's a fedora, one of them's got pinstripes on, they've got these big long coats. They're basically planning a bank robbery, aren't they? Standing around, they've got like the map on the table with a little toy car. They're doing that thing that criminals always do on TV, where they go over the plan one more time. Yeah, really loudly. <laughs> okay, it's on for tomorrow. So let's go through it all one more time. What, again? Just do it. It's 9.33, the Metropolitan Bank. I'm inside. Matthew. Arriving by cab, Vine Street, 9.34. Mark, on foot through the pedestrian subway, meet Matthew at the corner, 9.34. Luke. On the corner by the gatehouse, engine running, 9.42. Right. We only use these names, and remember, Timing. timing is everything. Remember, <gasps> oh, we got timing. To timing everything. everything. Yeah, time. Timing. What a great catchphrase! This is bad. This whole scene reminds me of something you would see in like a, in a, a college play. Oh, it's rubbish, isn't it? Mm. Interestingly, I started watching part of this episode before I watched the last one. Um, <laughs> so I saw that bank heist bit where yeah. they're in the warehouse, and then realised, ooh. So I've got a little bit of a preview of uh, this episode. Yeah. Wet my whistle, as it were. Yeah, so they're standing around, but they're not alone, are they? Because Slade and Holly are watching in. Yeah, they've already time-travelled. I thought, well, that's a bit of a cop-out. We've missed half the story. So I kind of like this. By episode six, obviously, we know exactly what's happening with the series. So we can just cut into this. We know exactly what's happening. Yeah, so they've come to spy on them so they can foil this bank robbery. Yeah, so they're listening in. I tried to see what Slade was whispering in Holly's ears, but I, I couldn't quite make it out. Just, I love you. I secretly love you, Holly. Will you be my girlfriend? Yes or no, or maybe. Something I notice here, Slade is in different clothing. Yeah, he's got... He's obviously been shopping. He's got a jumper. He's got a massive brown coat, like layered coat. Night clothing, I guess. I've got a real fascination with Jeff Slade's fashion sense. Um, for a man who doesn't care that much about fashion, I care about Jeff Slade's fashion. 
It's good. Do you know what? And he actually, this is the thing. Yeah, he still looks a bit odd. And he's also, I have to say, he's still got his normal shirt and trousers underneath that. But generally, as a look, he looks so much more normal and believable and, you know, just le- less like a tramp, basically. In his five-day-old clothes. Yeah, so they go through this plan. Jeff's remembering it all. They go around saying their names, code names, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is played by an actor called Kevin Squelch. What a lovely name. Just as a little aside, the music generally in the series I've enjoyed, the incidental music. This is awful. I don't understand it. It sounds really cheap. Cheap way to open the show. Um, It's like jazzy, Bugsy Malone style. Quite bad. It sounds synthesised. Yeah, I think they were going for the, a, a jazz club vibe. And it sounds really horrible. Sounds bad. Yeah, this whole bit is rubbish. So, they've heard this plan, and then we see the time machine. So we see them actually returning to normal, to the present time. Yeah. We just see a little flash of blue, and then they're back with this entire plan in their head, and Jeff's going to foil them. Can you remember it all? Yep. Now you can tell Grisham. So tomorrow when they hit the bank, you'll be waiting. That's the idea. There's just one snag. What's that? How are you going to explain how you managed to overhear the entire plan? And I'll take it you prefer me not to mention uh, time travel. Yes, please. I'll think of something. Nah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. That is just the way he lives his life. Carefree. We cut to the Metropolitan Bank, oh. which from last week, yes. that's Jeff's bank. Jeff is going to be furious. My overdraft, no! More Bugsy Malone style music. And outfits to match now. I mean, this is ridiculous. They looked a bit conspicuous before, but for the actual crime, they're literally in fedoras and sunglasses and long coats and black and looking shady. Stupid. Yeah. It's a really bad plan to say that they've like been going over this plan. At no point did they go, oh yeah, so I'll just walk in normal, in my normal clothes, or like, you know, <laughs> a cap or whatever. No, I'll go in... <laughs> Like an actual gangster. I'll go in, dressed as Suggs. <laughs> One of them has got a sawn-off shotgun in a massive flower box, which you only ever see when there's a gun inside it. Yes. And he's going into a bank with that. So, yeah, basically Slade, and the rest of the team, actually, but Slade stops them in their tracks one by one. Yeah, there's a lot of bits here. He stops one of the bank robbers coming up from the underground, doesn't he, by shutting the gate. Jeff Slade does his knee to the balls on another bank robber <laughs> out in the street. Yeah, the guy with the sawn-off shotgun steals it off him. Can I help you with that? What? The package. Someone's birthday, is it? Flowers? No. Sawn-off shotgun, maybe? Yeah. Just what I always wanted. Bearing in mind he could get his legs blown off. I know! He doesn't seem to care. <laughs> he knows for a fact there's four people in this plan. How does he know the other ones aren't just going to leap out and get him? In between this, we see Nicky tying the getaway vehicle to a pole. Just doesn't seem like something Nicky would do. Yeah, he seems to be quite enjoying it. He's creeping out with a little smirk on his face. Oh, I'm stopping them. This is one of the best things Nicky's done, yeah. isn't it, really? I mean, he's not done much action. He's turned into an action hero. Brilliant. Um, and then... So, yeah, three of them have been dealt with. The last one is in the bank. One of my favourite bits is coming up. But... <laughs> do you want to talk us through it, then? Is it John that's inside the bank? It's John, yeah, yeah. 
pretending to fill out the paperwork and Slade a bit. <laughs> and I've put Slade Criminal uh, because he looks like Smooth Criminal. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the full outfit. <laughs> he is, presumably he's got Matthew's clothes on. Got changed, come back again. And he, and he sidles up to John in his disguise. Yes, and he whispers. What happened? Where's Mark? Sorry, couldn't make it. Who are you? And uh, it all kicks off. Yeah. Um, now, this is ridiculous because basically John pulls a gun on Slade. But then Slade whacks him round the head with the shotgun flower box, which fires through a window. It's very dangerous. I mean, there's civilians inside the bank. Reckless Slade. Yeah. But there we are. Well, when it goes off almost in their faces and into the public, Slade looks a bit shocked at this. Oh, oops. (laughs) (laughs) For basically what is an extended quip on his part, it's very dangerous. He could have gone in and arrested the guy. Just arrested him. He didn't have to do anything else and pretend to be the other guy, do his little quip, hand-to-hand combat, and get a shotgun going off randomly. I honestly don't know what goes through his mind. No. I mean, this is important, actually, his behaviour, because this leads nicely into one of the themes of the episode, his cockiness. Anyway, so the alarm is raised, finally. (laughs) Which... I don't know if you noticed, is the same alarm as Holly's bank. It's the same sound effect. the same sound effect. (laughs) I recognise it well, because I've been editing it. (laughs) Uh, So then we cut to Grisham. Grisham goes to talk to the press. So the gang was called the Apostles, because they're Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And the press are saying to her, how did you know the exact plan? Did you get a tip-off? Have you got an informant on the inside of the gang? And Grisham's going, oh, no comment, no comment. Oh, well, just, no, we can't say anything. And the reason is because she doesn't know. Yeah, she had no idea. And she's getting suspicious. I mean, she should be suspicious. I mean, we've been saying this for quite a bit. Really, she should be starting to think now. And she is. You know, something's not right here. Um, so her and Morris are having a bit of an old chinwag. Where is he, Morris? Chief. Jeff Slade. How does he do it? Do what, Chief? Listen, we knew the apostles were meeting yesterday evening and we knew where, but the tip-off came too late. By the time we'd got there, they'd already left. Yeah. But Slade knew their entire plan. He knew the name of the bank, the taxi, the pedestrian subway. Now, how could he know that? It's a mystery, Chief. Oh, thanks very much. Very helpful. (laughs) Um, I don't know, actually, whether... Because I've seen a few of the articles and things I've read. Sometimes they say Jeff is quite a skilled detective, and then in other ones they say he's a bad detective and he's rubbish, and that's why he needs the time machine. And you know, it's what do you think? Do you think he's he's actually earned his stripes a little bit with this, or do you think he's always been a bit rubbish? I mean, but like pre um, time machine, you know, just in his, in oh pre time machine, yeah, just like oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because he's shown he's shown no aptitude for skill. Uh, <laughs> he must have had his head screwed on to get that far, so. Yeah. No, I think he's. I I think he's okay because I think he he eventually figures stuff out anyway. I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He does. He does piece things together. Better than Morris. Yeah, I would guess. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I just I was just thinking because I was like, is he a good one or a bad one? I don't know. I know he's like a maverick and that, but hmm. So Grisham says that they did have a tip off, but Jeff seemed to have got that tip off earlier than everyone else. Mm. And then apparently over the last few months, he's just been knocking him out of the park. He's just like, yeah, solve, 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 solve. So this is like since last episode that he's obviously had a string of successes. And then it cuts to Slade asleep. Yeah. He's napping on Holly's sofa. <laughs> just asleep. 
Holly is trying to fix the machine. Yeah, which blows up in her face. Well, we know already that pretty much every time she uses it, something breaks. And now it's just, you know, getting worn out. <laughs> now I'm getting worn out. We're overusing it. Before I got involved with you, I was just doing small controlled experiments. Now we're using it like it's a double-decker bus. Come on. No, there's a bank robbery or someone steals a bar of chocolate from the local branch of Woolworth. Ring, hop on, and this is the answer. Only it's not. It may not matter to you, but piece by piece, you are destroying a lifetime's work. It does matter to me. Yeah, I wonder. Woolworth. 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 And I did some research into this as well. Woolworth is the US branch of Woolworth. Because ah. over here, we were Woolworths, weren't we? In the 90s it was, anyway. Because it just didn't sit right. <laughs> she said it. Yeah. Um, Woolworth. I used to work for Woolworth about 15 years ago. I'm not saying it was my fault that it went into administration, but Woolworth. Do you remember Woolly and Worth? Those characters that they came up with. Woolly was a sheep and then Worth was a dog. And they were like, oh, look at all these amazing things we could get in Woolworth. It doesn't really work, does it? Wool, wool yeah, great, sheep, worth. Ugh. Can you imagine the meeting? What do we do for worth? No idea. Oh, I've Ugh. just realised something. Woolly had a W spray painted on his front, like a sheep, you know, when farmers spray paint their wool. You see I wonder that? where he is now. Well, yeah, you can get toys. Unemployment line. Woolly and worth. So, enough about that. Yeah, so any little thing, just, oh, we could go back. Holly gets very serious and just says that, basically, that he's destroying a lifetime's work. He doesn't care, though. He, he, he care. doesn't care. Nope. He turns some satsumas into ice. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> Messing around with stuff, banging them together, <laughs> putting them on, he's like, <laughs> So Holly sort of lays down the law and says, look, for this next case, don't use a time machine. Use your detective skills like you're paid to do. And she says, you're a good detective. You can do it. So, presumably he is good. <laughs> and he's like, oh, right. oh, really? oh with detective skills? Oh, boring. <laughs> I'll tell you who is a good detective. Holly. <laughs> well, as she proves in this episode. I do wish, I know she has to be a science officer because she's got the time machine, but I wish she was actually a detective when they were working together. Because, like, there's no point her being a scientific officer. All it means is that she can't hang around with him enough. And Nikki's got to go instead. They could be partners, couldn't they? They should be partners. Because I mean, she can still send stuff down to the lab and, you know, explain, just go, well, we got these back from the lab and this is what they said. She doesn't have to literally carry test tubes and stuff as well. But there we go. So the next case, he's got to work out himself. Cut to the next case. <laughs> We're back in the country manners. <laughs> the mansions. Oh, I love a good country manner. Here we go. We're back. And this this, <laughs> this made me kind of laugh as well, because just because of the way it's done, it, this seems tongue-in-cheek as well, because it's just a shot of the mansion in the distance and then just one gunshot. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Something's happened. Here we go again. Ugh. Yeah. So, there is a dead body of an old man, and the man's wife comes upstairs shouting him. Ian? Ian, he's called. Yeah, she comes in and she goes, Benny! Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Benny! Benny! Oh, Benny! Wrong thing, guys. God, I hate that so much. Anyway. Hi, 
she finds him lying on the floor with blood coming out of his head. This is a bit more... We didn't see that when the demon headmaster got shot in the head. There was no blood at all there. And now we've got proper blood gore. PG-13. She finds him. She's not that shocked, considering it's her husband. Sir Ian Hawkins. Mm, I think he's Justin's dad. <laughs> yeah, Slade and Nicky turn up. This is great. This is proper Morecambe and Wise. <laughs> I know, it's like a comedy routine. This is like, other than like Holly getting a bit upset about the time machine, there's not been a proper serious moment in this so far. It's all oh. been a bit slapstick and a bit quips. And all the, And here we've got a back and forth. So who was he, Nicky? Hawkins. Ian Hawkins. With two eyes. Oh, we could see all right then. No, Ian, I-A-I-N. He was partly Scottish. Now he's wholly dead. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it's obviously to set up the joke, but why would Nicky say it's Ian Hawkins with two eyes? Um, <laughs> but that's fine. I mean... We know an I-A-I-N, don't forget. Yes, we do. Indeed. We do. And we've mentioned him before. Friend of the podcast, Ian Orkish. Yes. He is an I-A-I-N. So they are real. That is real. They do exist, everybody. So check under your beds every night. Um, so yes, he's got. T- <laughs> what does he say? He's got two eyes. He's um, partly Scottish. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Is it? <laughs> I thought so. He's partly Scottish, and <laughs> you've got to do the accent as well. I didn't, I, mean, I had to listen to it a few times to even confirm that Michael French was doing any kind of accent. <laughs> holy dead. <laughs> he's holy dead. Now he's holy dead. Partly Scottish, holy dead. <laughs> yeah, he's not really taking it seriously, this is he? No. Not at hey, all. we've got our first chalk outline of the series. Mm. It's been teasing us in that title sequence, and here we've actually got one of Ian's pose. Well, I say chalk outline, it's on a carpet, isn't it? What are they made out of? Is it tape? I think they've white tape or something, isn't it? Yeah, completely ruined the carpet, probably. Well, it's already ruined because it's got blood on it. And ah. not just any old blood. Two different types that Holly's swabbing. The Gov mentions that he was a politician. Yes, he was, yeah. We don't know which party. We do. He was a government minister, Slade. Retired at the last election. Sir Ian Hawkins? Even you must have heard of him. Defence. Social Security. He was the one who tried to stop benefits for single mothers. He just stopped short of having them deported. So that's, you know, that's a silver lining. <laughs> he didn't get them deported. <laughs> yes, there's two different blood stains. So we've got Ian's blood and we've got another little spot of blood. I don't know. I'm, I keep meaning to look these things up and I forget. I don't know if you can immediately um, see somebody's blood type. I suppose you can because they've got to do it in hospitals, haven't they? They've got to test your blood. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, so but she's just got a little swab and she's going, these are two different things. So yeah, there's some, some other blood. Might be the killer's blood. So, evidence. And they've got a phone call which was recorded. My name's Hawkins. Sorry, Ian Hawkins. Look, I want you to send someone round right away. I've got this madman here in the house. He's, he's with me now. And just a minute. That's it. The phone went dead. And so did Zarian. I mean, <laughs> very callous, isn't he? He's no compassion. He needs to go on a course. Uh, it's completely unacceptable, frankly. And the only other bit of info they've got is that they saw somebody running away. But pff, 
I don't know how that can help. I mean... Somebody running away from a crime scene that nobody can see very well. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to do any detective work for that. It's pretty obvious. Who on earth could it possibly be? They didn't have any description, so we'll never know. There's a ladder outside that front window. Do we know whose it is? It seems there was a window cleaner. You'll have to ask the wife. You'll have to move fast on this one, Slade. Hawkins may have been out of government, but he was still in the news. For those who bother to read it. And then she gives him a little look, as yeah. in like, remember, that's your thing, isn't it, Jeff? That's the third time we've mentioned this, that you don't read the papers because of your dad, remember? A bit forced, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit... Yeah, to let's say there was like a character breakdown. It, was that really one of the points? Oh, he's a maverick, he does this, he does that. He doesn't read the newspapers. Yeah, sure, he does the crossword. <laughs> Who'd remember that as well, just watching it week by week, just once, you know, like in the 90s? Who'd remember that that was a thing? Yeah, and who'd care? It'd be like, oh... Whatever. So Grisham continues the conversation with Morris. Yeah, so Grisham now wants Morris to keep an eye on Slade. I mean, Morris is always looking at Slade. I want you to stick around. Chief. What we were saying yesterday. I want you to keep an eye on Slade. See what he gets up to. Right. Let's see if he gets another miracle result. This time I want to know how he does it. I mean, little does she know that he isn't going to be using the time machine because he's not allowed. Yeah, that would be a weird thing if he hadn't have used it and Morris had just gone, oh, he just looked at the computer. And it was the end. (laughs) Yeah, so we've got a proper AC-12 investigation going on, haven't we now? This is crime of duty. (laughs) This is it. It's gripping stuff. Very exciting. Well, it would be. But then we go back to Lady Hawkins. Oh, she is something else, isn't she? Um. I don't know what to think about this character, really. She's got into pottery, basically. But by the looks of it, not like she doesn't use a potter's wheel. She just literally makes it like if you were making it out of plasticine. Just (laughs) fingerprints all over it. Yeah. Anyway, she gives one to Nicky because he he compliments it. So now he's got this big, weird red and blue misshapen vase to do something with. Oh, God. I was trying to work out what it was. Is it a a vase, cup, hat? I don't know. So they mentioned the window cleaner was Robert. Robert the window cleaner. I don't know his surname. I never thought to ask. He's he's Robert the window cleaner. He comes every Friday at 10am on the dot. But Lady Hawkins just shuts that down. Oh no, it's not going to be the window cleaner, who I don't know the name of and can't even describe to you. If I were you, I'd talk to Kirby. Who's that? Lawrence Kirby. Now, Ian knew him a long time ago, but recently he resurfaced. He came to Ian with some sort of business proposition. And much to my surprise, Ian agreed to become involved. When was Kirby last here, Lady Hawkins? Actually, he was here this morning. He came on his motorbike. Kirby. And I thought, what's he doing in this episode? He's a round pink ball with a mouth who sucks in air from Nintendo. <laughs> I mean, that's just <laughs> very odd. Uh, that's the first thing that came to mind when I, when I thought of Kirby. But it turns out it's uh, a man called Lawrence Kirby. Uh, I'm not a, a monster. Yeah, so Lawrence Kirby, who used to be Surian's driver, and then he resurfaced with a business proposition, and he was there this morning. There was a possible argument between them. He went away. Ian was very angry about it. Maybe that is a good place to look. 
I still think it was probably the stranger that climbed in the house. <laughs> That's fine. They've got a couple of suspects. So, he works at a place called the Big Box Company. Mm, fascinating name. As they leave, Nicky really doesn't like this pottery and he offers it to Slade. Slade laughs in his face. Slade says it as if, like, that would not go with my ping pong table and my empty <laughs> my empty room and my blue banister and my fresco painting on the fucking on the door. He should he should have held his arms out and went, okay. Perfect for my house, thank you. <laughs> so they set off to the big box co. Morris follows them. Morris is keeping tabs, not particularly undercover. So, yeah, this is the thing. Big Box Co. We cut there. It's basically a load of red telephone boxes. Mm. Presumably, that's what they sell. Is it? Yeah, converted um, red telephone boxes. Interesting. And a lady points them up to um, Kirby's office. Uh, So, yeah, who's playing Lawrence? Ken Bones. Recognise him? Yes, I do recognise him. Um, He has been in Doctor Who, hasn't he? Yeah. Quite recently, fairly recently, for the 50th anniversary stuff, he was the... Oh, what was he called now? He was a Time Lord. The General, that's what he was called. Yeah, the General. Um, I didn't think all that much of him, to be honest, but he's all right in this. I like him in this. Yeah, he's decent enough, isn't he? He's He's doing a sort of northern accent in this. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if I know anyone with the surname Bones. Chilly. Kenneth Bones. I can't believe it. He was shot at about 10 o'clock this morning. 10 o'clock? Well, I was there. What? No, 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 not 10 o'clock, half nine, something like that. Apparently the two of you argued. Who told you that? We didn't argue. I never presumed, not with him. How did you know Syrian? Well, I, uh, I met him 20 years ago. I was his driver. I mean, you don't think... Well, you, you can't think I had anything to do with it. There's a lot of nothingness here, isn't there? Um, discussed with him. It's, they're just going through what we already know, talking about what's happened. Right, come on. We all know there's only one thing in this episode that we're interested in, so we need to get to it quick. <laughs> now, there's a tiny bit of foreshadowing here, in the sense that there's, in his office, among all these little mini red telephone boxes, there is a blue police telephone box mm-hmm. on the side. Oh, I remember when I was little, there was there used to be a thing in, probably in Comet or something like that. They used to have like a police box telephone. I don't know if you ever saw them when you were younger. Yeah. Like a house phone, but in a police box. And they had a red telephone box as well. I think it might be one of them kind of, it's certainly that sort of size. Yeah, it does look like that. Yeah, so that's a nice little spot. What um, exactly is your business, Mr. Kirby? Telephone boxes. What, the old red ones? We convert them when we sell them. As what? Showers, flower boxes, or some of just straight garden ornaments. What did you talk about this morning? <sighs> just business. Look, who told you we were arguing? I suppose it was that cleaner. The window cleaner? Yeah. Did you see him? Yeah. What was he like? It's like a window cleaner. He's just a guy with a cloth. I didn't really notice. I mean... It's the only thing he realised. Hey, he had a cloth. 
Window cleaner, I don't know what you look like. Got literally no other description. I mean, that's the thing. Window cleaners, taxi drivers, things like that, isn't it? They are the things that you, you do tend to yeah. just ignore and not pay any attention to. Um, but I would notice Smelly Slade. Hey, um, spoilers. I'm <laughs> um, oh, sorry. We'll have to cut that out. you have to bleep that. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was a very similar looking person that you could compare them to. So he gets red telephone boxes, which of course were all being replaced mm-hmm. with newer ones. He gets them, converts them into all sorts. Showers, yeah. flower boxes. But yeah, he's got loads of them. Mm-hmm. And everyone's sort of like going, what? Who the hell would... Sounds like a rubbish business to me. Now, I don't know if you saw the news recently. No. But in London, there was a red telephone box for sale in situ. Right. But it was basically being sold as an office space. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of them. People work from them, don't they? And they have the little mini little businesses and stuff inside them. Yeah, I can imagine. It's gone on the market with a guide price of £45,000. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised because I was just thinking, as you were saying there, I mean, it's they were all replaced by the BT boxes. And yeah, now, yeah. looking back, you realise that those BT boxes are an absolute eyesore. And, and really, we'd love to have those red boxes back. I mean, we've got a few. I've seen two today in Sheffield in my local vicinity Mm. in fact it's probably rarer to see one of the old bt boxes now so they'll probably be selling for a million pounds in a a few years yeah but i think it's more about the the iconic status of them now isn't it i mean what they look like and what they represent yeah no idea why they got rid they could have updated the telephone inside and left the outside but they never did exactly um and i'm a very big supporter of kind of going okay let's not try and modernize everything let's let, let's keep things but modernize the inside of stuff and repurposing yeah and i think people are realizing that now and people are starting to sort of integrate new things with old things and mm. preserve things not always there are still some sad demolitions going on and things but you know Ugh, very sad very very sad so they need to figure out who it was that was running away because the window cleaner's got a van and was early as well. Because don't forget, the window cleaner always comes at 10 and this was half nine or whatever, um, or quarter mm. to 10. Um, the window cleaner was early. Kirby was came on his bike. The window cleaner had a van. So they're like, well, who on earth was running? So Slade sends Nicky back off to the to the Hawkins estate to... Um, to, to find look, out who it was. To have a little sneak is- around. Some real confusing time shit, really, when you think about it, isn't it? Basically, without spoiling anything, Slade is essentially investigating Slade. (laughs) Yeah, well, isn't he always? Um, That's very true. That's what I mean. By episode six, you'd think his first thought would have been, that sounds like me. (laughs) Yeah, that is me running away. (laughs) I don't get it. Kirby was at the house at 9.30 and left before 10, so... So how come he saw the window cleaner? According to Lady Hawkins, the window cleaner always arrived at 10. Well, maybe the window cleaner arrived early this morning. And left early. He must have been the one the local police saw running away from the house. No, he wouldn't run away. He had a van. And Kirby has a bike. You better go back and talk to the local police. Oh, and have a look around the garden as well. Okay. what about you? And here we go. This is the bit. (laughs) The bit that everybody remembers from Crime Traveller. Slade looks over in this sea of red telephone boxes. And of course, as we know from earlier, we had a little, we had a miniature one. And also we had a red telephone box painted blue just to get our minds in that space. He looks over and sees the TARDIS. I've got another line of investigation. 
or rather, a, poli a police telephone box. And as he says that, a little nice ghostly fragment of the Doctor Who theme music plays in the background. Yeah. Which means that Doctor Who exists in the universe of Crime Traveller. So there is not going to be a crossover of those two properties, I don't think. No, it's... Uh... <laughs> Doctor Who is fictional, and that is reminded him... Oh, time travel. <laughs> I think it angered a lot of Doctor Who fans, by the way. I've seen a lot of people just say that it was like a kick in the teeth. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> when they wanted to watch Doctor Who, and they wanted to watch Crime Traveller, which not a lot of them liked, and then you get this little thing going, ah, ha, ha, look, we've put a TARDIS in, ah, ha, ha. I imagine everybody was absolutely gutted. This makes me think there's no other reason, I don't think, for Kirby to have a telephone box conversion company other than to add in a police box, surely. Has that whole thing been written just so they could have that little police box cameo shoehorned in? Oh, yes, maybe. Even the characters in it are going, what is this business? What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. This is a rubbish business. Just so they can do that one scene. I mean... It... Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd hope not because it's not that great, and I'm sure they could have, if they wanted to shoehorn Doctor Who in, they could have shoehorned it in some other way. I know. Well, I mean, I mean unfortunately, as well throughout England, at least all of those Doctor Who style police boxes were all demolished, except for one, which is in a tramway museum in Crouch. I've stood next to it. Mm. It's the last one. So, if there'd have been a few more, like there are red telephone boxes still. There may have been a scene where Slade's walking down a street and sees one, and that reminds him. But yes, really, there wasn't any. The only place you're going to find one is in a company like this, or a museum, or, you know. So, fair enough. But yeah, just, I don't know, could have done without it. However, I do really, I do like it. I like it. Um, but there's something I realised. I've been looking at the clip of it and the screenshot of it and everything. And what I didn't realise was that the telephone box next to it has got a toilet in it. <laughs> It's got a toilet seat and a cistern <laughs> attached. Sylvester McCoy just wanders out. <laughs> oh, evil since the dawn of time. <laughs> God, yeah, so I'd never realised that. <laughs> anyway, I've got um, some interesting facts. I'll try not to be too long with this, but I've sent you a picture, Ant. Mm, got it here. Would you like to describe what that picture is well it's a picture of and i say this even though i'm only 35 years old it is a picture of my doctor <laughs> um william hartnell yeah looking very dapper indeed as he always did in front of a tardis now this isn't part of doctor Who. this is um at some kind of event mm -hmm. appearing as william hartnell yeah with this in the background that box is the box oh wow from crime traveler that is interesting based on the observations of some fans on TARDISBuilders.com. It's had a very interesting history that various British film companies had their own police box made that they used to use in various films on the street as set dressing and things like that. This one was made and owned by Ealing Films okay. and was in a few of their films just in the background. And then, yeah, it was used for various, as we can see here, various Doctor Who events it's popped up in. And then there's another shot here of Colin Baker and a couple of companions at a convention with it. And in the 90s, it turned up in a lot of different things, most notably around the 30th anniversary of Doctor Who, this documentary, 30 Years in the TARDIS, where there was various shots of it by the Thames. And it was quite striking them because it was painted a particular shade of blue 
blue, like a slightly lighter blue, white window frames. So you can spot it, because it wasn't really repainted for a while, you can spot it in other shows. Uh, there's one of it here in Harry Enfield, it was in Goodnight Sweetheart, it was uh, on Blue Peter, and it was on Crime Traveller. So it's gone around, it's a, it's a good box, it's very accurate actually to a real police box, which TARDISes generally aren't, the ones that we see on screen. This one never appeared in an actual Doctor Who, not even the film, people think that it was the film one, but it wasn't. Oh, that's a shame. That's kind of a shame, isn't it? Yeah, I think, uh... there's a brilliant video by an account called Dalek6388. The guys who do that can basically pinpoint all the different Dalek props and where they appeared wow. and once from the film and where things have been repainted and they can... It's amazing, it's amazing. Just That's dedication. Pinpoint exactly where they are on screen. Uh, they did one about the TARDIS as well. And similarly, people can pinpoint these by where there's a little identifying mark and they can follow it through all these different films and where it ended up and track it. So yes, go on YouTube, Dalek6388, really good videos, really interesting and incredible attention to detail. So some of the information's from here as well, but it was bought by The Sun in the 90s for a few promo things. And then it, I think it says here it was bought by Tom Baker's agent and then just kind of repainted to look a bit like his TARDIS, but I'm not sure about that. But it's in private hands. Uh, yeah, so that's... That's really interesting, seeing that same box with Hartnell in the old days. Yeah, going back all that way. Anyway, that one second of the TARDIS has been and gone, so let's just get through the rest of the episode. <laughs> so at this point, it cuts to Slade, seeing Holly at the police station. She mentions that the blood on the carpet was different blood to Sir Ian's blood. One of the bloods was O, and Ian's was AB. Mm, yeah. Which is very rare. O is the most common, I think. That's what I've got. Oh my god, I've just implicated myself. <laughs> now, Jeff says, after Holly says Zerian was AB, Jeff says, and blue. So, is he saying that he's blue-blooded, as in aristocracy? Rich? Yeah, blue-blood. Yeah. He just can't stop quipping. I wish he'd stop. Every single thing to do with Zerian is quipped about. He, um, he hasn't taken anything seriously about him being dead, has he? No, something which may very well be a political assassination, which is quite a serious thing, even though he's obviously been out of government for a few years, but still. They also found a black hair on the carpet. Yeah. And Jeff points out that, oh, the window cleaner had black hair. Yes. Yes, <laughs> Jeff. He did. Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> think about it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> he's still cadging for a go on the time machine. Oh, I'm so close. Oh, just please. Just let me work it out. I thought we agreed. By the book. It's not as easy as that. It doesn't get any easier. Look, we've got the disappearing window cleaner and the argumentative telephone box garden gnome manufacturer. If it wasn't one, it's got to be the other. Yeah, but why? While this is going on, Morris is listening in like a pervert to the whole conversation. Oh, of course he is, yeah, yeah. With his AC-12 investigation. <laughs> But we're hearing weird, like... <laughs> like it's down a mine. He's got his ear up to the door listening in. He can hear things like machine and travel. Yeah. But then he decides to just get a little plastic cup to help him hear. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's that good listening through a glass. I mean, if he knew about Holly's listening equipment from last time, that was crystal yeah, clear. He's got a tape thing. And he, he had a tape thing in his hand, didn't he, before? He why doesn't he plant that somewhere? Well, it's Morris, isn't it? That's why... Slade tries to butter Holly up Ooh. by inviting her to dinner. Not tonight, I'm out. 
I've been invited to a lecture at the Kessler Institute. Newton and thermodynamics. What time does that start? Six o'clock. All of a sudden, Slate's eyes light up. Jackpot. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, he's very, very obvious, and I'm surprised that Holly doesn't twig, but fair enough. Yeah, so Jeff Slade spotted an opportunity to go against everything he's said so far. The trust that Holly has in him is going to be broken here. Destroy a friendship, ruin people's lives, doesn't give a shit. So she's doing a lecture about Kessler and Newton. Morris hears those names as well. <laughs> he's piecing it all together. This series finale... When they do the AC12 interview, he's going to be quite riveting <laughs> with all this information. Uh, so yes, Holly's got a lecture, so can't do it. Sorry. She invites Jeff along and he's like, no. <laughs> I'll stay back at mine, play some ping pong. I don't want to hear about any of your interests. <laughs> this is about me and Mike solving the crime. Thank you. So as Jeff leaves, he opens the door onto an eavesdropping Morris, who falls through. Drop my cup. <laughs> it's all concertinaed. Quite funny. I do like Paul Trussell. Morris might not be the greatest character, but he's, <laughs> he's really good at it. I just wish he wasn't quite as dopey. Yeah, they have him play a dunce. We said this before. He wouldn't be a dunce because he's a police officer. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be like that. No. Slade, as you said before, has taken the opportunity of Holly being out at her lecture to visit Sundown Court alone. Mm. Morris is still following. And we see Danny. Mr. Slade. Hello, Danny. Hello. If you want Holly, she is near. No, no, she's um, she's at that lecture, isn't she? Uh, did she not tell you I was coming round? What? She asked me to have a look at her TV. She's having trouble with the uh, contrast. <laughs> All the electrics in this place. I'm surprised she can even turn it on. <laughs> right. Well, um, I'll just have a look at it. Oh, she didn't say anything to me. Well, it won't be long. Danny's confined to the entrance hall, obviously. It's like he's trapped in his own little corridor of infinity, <laughs> repeating the same days over and over again. It's a bit sad. Maybe in the second series we would have got to see him out and about. Oh, I'd love that. Danny's just got used to the electrics in the house just not working. It's not, <laughs> even though it's quite a serious thing. It's like, oh, within this place, <laughs> oh, the electrics, oh, God, all the fuses. <laughs> Not asked, is he? Yeah, and he's he's a bit annoyed that because Jeff's obviously saying, "Oh, Holly said to fix contrast on her TV." He's obviously a bit annoyed that he's not been asked, isn't he? I mean, that's kind of his thing. Mm. Rather than letting Jeff Slade wander in and out of people's rooms, I mean, it is a bit weird. <laughs> well, yeah, I still don't really know how did Jeff get in. Has he got his own key? Did he steal Holly's key? Did he shoot the lock off the door? Anyway, he confuses Danny by just doing that thing where you just walk away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm just going to go up. Don't worry. Yeah, so anyway, Jeff gets in somehow. Meanwhile, Morris is... um, Morris is in a car. There's a lot of bits here. The bin lid situation. Yeah, bin lid suddenly falls from the sky and clatters to the ground. Yeah, and obviously Morris gets out to look at it. But there's nothing there. Who knows where it came from? In this, with his long brown coat on and his suit and tie and shirt and that, he looks like the Tenth Doctor... (laughs) If he'd had a bad day. Didn't regenerate into Matt Smith, but something went wrong and he regenerated into Morris. Or, actually, with that face, he looked a bit like Gary Sparrow in Goodnight yes, Sweetheart yes. in his war outfit. He's got a very Nicholas Lindhursty kind of face, hasn't he? Paul Trussell. Gormless kind of expression. <laughs> I would have loved to see Nicholas Lindhurst take on Morris. 
Actually, I think he did play a similar character to Morris in New Tricks, where Nicholas Dinders did play a detective who was slightly clever, like a genius almost, but also a bit inept at life. So yeah, he probably would have played it like that. Interesting. I I mean, it was a death knell of New Tricks, if I'm being honest, but (laughs) not Nicholas Dinders' fault. Yeah, so there's nothing there. Just your average bin lid falling from the sky. So there's a lot going on here, isn't there? There's a lot of cutting back and forth. Slade wants to go back in time. He goes in. Um, I thought here, is he capable of going back? Is he able to operate this machine? We've seen before that he made it fail. Um, So I was a bit dubious, but you know what? He pulls it off, doesn't he? Yeah. I don't know if it would have been better to have Jeff pressing the buttons with one hand and holding Holly's instruction manual in the other hand. You know what I mean? Like, learning. Because I don't think he would have paid attention. I've seen him. He just sits in that chair, puts his hands behind his head. There's no like, ooh, um, is it this, is it that? He's like, no, press that, flip that, sorted. But he, he manages to do it and he goes back. But there's a lot going on with Morris's car. The football scores, the, the windows going up and down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Morris is petrified. Yeah, this is um, a side effect. That I think this is the first time we've seen it, isn't it? That it sort of affects things in the radius. So, yeah, Danny's electrics are going on and off and his TV's going off and stuff. But it's actually affecting the electronics even in Morris's car, which is good. Danny must be thinking there's a correlation here between every time Jeff turns up, <laughs> the electrics go and the fuse blows and my TV, you know. You must think, what is it with Jeff? Yeah, Jeff has done it. He's gone yeah. back and he's gone, I think, just over 10 hours back. Perfect. Pretty good. But th- the thing is, so he doesn't know when he's going to turn up. He can't program in how long he wants to go back. No. So it's all very well going, oh, Holly's out tonight. Brilliant. But doesn't mean she's going to be out when he gets there. No. If he just appeared, like, in the night or something <laughs> in Holly's flat. <laughs> and then had to get out or, like... She had maybe a guest round or something, or there was another him in the room and he looked himself in the eyes and the universe exploded. Well, he doesn't seem to care about any of that. So So he's going, he's out, perfect. So 9.15 in the morning, we cut to the same day. Yeah, which is obviously before anything. Surian is alive and well. Yes? Good morning, sir. Come with the windows. What? To clean them. Robert couldn't make it, so he sent me. Not a bit early, aren't you? He did say half past nine. Well, where's your ladder? Oh, I could have sworn Robert said it was a bungalow. Very well, then. There's a ladder around the back in the garage. You can use that. If you need anything else, talk to my wife. She's around somewhere. Thank you, sir. Ian Hawkins is played by an actor called David Neal. Passed away now. Died in the year 2000. I mean, he looked on death's door in Crime Traveller. Gaunt. He is a very gaunt-looking man. And you know what? There is a nice interesting fact about David Neal. He was born in Kettering in Northamptonshire, which is just next to myself. Yeah. You were born in Kettering, weren't you? Yeah. um, Same place uh, I was born. Really close by, and he died in Kettering as well. Do you think you'll die in Kettering? Maybe. You return from where you came. I'm going to go and drive there, yeah. The circle of life. <laughs> Kettering. Maybe you walked past each other and you never realised. In Woolworth. I-, I looked at his IMDb. Been in a lot. And he'd been in a lot at this point. Oh, yeah. High profile stuff as well. Flash Gordon. Superman. The Bill. Inspector Morse. Doctor Who. <gasps> Caves of Androzani. Peter Davison's last episode. What was he, a rock? He was the... <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
Um, <laughs> the president. I don't know who that is. So yeah, Sirian answers the door to <laughs> Slade in his fourth costume change of the day. I mean, I've got a question here. This ties yeah. in nicely. I mean, obviously, I, I heard you were doing some nice designs of, of all Jeff Slade's costumes. Have you done this one? Oh, yeah. I have started an infographic of the costumes. I still need to do things like this. But no, I've done all his shirt, trouser, yellow jacket combinations. Fantastic. I thought he had a different one every episode, but it's not always the case, you know. There's a lot of repetitions as well. It's weird. So I take back what I said about him when I said he had eight different trousers and eight different shirts because he hasn't even got that. (laughs) I will do um, window cleaner Slade uh, at one point and put them all together. Mm. So yeah, it's Slade. He's got from somewhere a big grey jumper, looks like a prisoner or something. Looks comfy though, doesn't it? Looks really nice. And he's got a slight... like. (laughs) Cockney. <laughs> oh, I'm the window cleaner. Oh, Robert said half nine. Oh, I ain't got my ladder. Sorry, governor. Yes, he says, I thought it was a bungalow. Brilliant line. I do love that. Well, you know what? Bit of compassion there from Sir Ian, really, considering he's meant to be another cantankerous old man. But he allowed him to use the ladder because yeah. he's never shown any empathy or, or care. <laughs> Real nice of him. And then he slammed the door in his face. Slade goes and gets this big ladder out of the garage and uh, Kirby arrives on his motorbike. For some reason, I love the shot of Slade. <laughs> like he's gone, oh, right, I'm going to actually have to clean the windows now, aren't I? <laughs> um, so he's got his ladder and you could just almost see on his face, right, okay, I'm in too deep now. <laughs> he's in deep with this undercover shit. Kirby arrives. Jeff spots him from up the top of a ladder with no bucket or water or soap. <laughs> he's miming it. <laughs> Yeah. And as Kirby is invited into the house, Slade does a little bit of mini parkour up the ladder, climbs through the top window, hops in, um, and eavesdrops on what's going on. What an interesting conversation it is. It wasn't my fault they cancelled the order. What order? I told you, P&J. They've got garden centres all over the country. There's 200 units. I do all the work and then they cancel. Now I'm a cash flow. If they order the units, you can sue them. But well, it's a verbal contract. <laughs> what a bloody idiot. I'll think about it. No, I can still shift it, but it's going to take time and money. I said I'll think about it. Now get out. You shouldn't talk to me like that, Syrian. I'll talk to you any damn way I please. I should never allow myself to be drawn into all this stuff for this piece. Just... So, yeah, Kirby's in a sticky situation, but Sirian's not helping him, so he leaves. Slade is almost caught by Sirian's wife, Lady Hawk, Inns, um, and he hides in a room, the room where the murder happened, mm-hmm. and then sees the carpet with no blood on it. He must be putting two and two together by now, surely. Yes. I don't think he's twigged, though. I think he's still a bit... Mm. He must do by now because he knows now that he's the window cleaner. Yeah. This is a weird situation because he knows he has to run away at some point. Yeah. That's a weird thing. But yeah, instead of going, oh, no. (laughs) How is my blood going to end up on this carpet? He commits to it. So, Kirby leaves and Lady Hawkins uh, appears with a weird teapot with... Tits? (laughs) Tits? <laughs> um, yeah, it's got tits on it and it pulls out of both sides. Oh, God. Double spout. I bet that works quite well. It's a talking point, isn't it? I mean, yeah. get your parents around to be like, oh, here's my teapot with tits. Yeah, two cups of tea coming up. <laughs> um, yeah, so Surian, understandably, is unimpressed with this invention. 
You know, Elizabeth, I'm not sure you're entirely suited to this new hobby of yours. I'll begin the study. Elizabeth, that's her name. We found out her first name, Elizabeth Hawkins. Yeah, she gives him a very sharp look as he goes up the stairs. Mm. So I don't know if we're meant to think at one point, oh, maybe it's her. But it can't be because we saw it. We saw her before when he got shot and she ran up the stairs and went, oh. I mean, maybe just give her a little bit more of a backbone because she's been trodden all over and I don't know. Slade is confronted by Sir Ian. He's been caught in the room. What are you doing in here? And then Slade, having not learned anything over the five times that we've seen him travel, but he's already gone rogue being back in time when he, he shouldn't be. And now he's trying to bloody change time again. Look, Sir Ian, you're in danger. That's why I'm here. I came here to warn you. First of all, I'm not a window cleaner. I'm a police officer. Is this something to do with Kirby? The driver? No. Or well, maybe. Look, this isn't going to be easy. you just got to have an open mind. Could you please get to the point? The point, yes. Uh, uh, OK, the point. What do you think about the concept of time travel, Sir Ian? Yeah, that's his opening gambit. I'm a police officer, fine. And I was thinking, oh, right, everything's going to be fine, because surely Sir Ian will go, oh, right, OK, here's my badge. I'm doing some whatever undercover work. But yeah, Slade also says, what do you think about time travel? <laughs> yeah, so he thinks he's a crackpot. I have a friend called Holly Turner. Her father was Professor Turner. You may have heard of him. What about him? Well, he was the one who invented it. The time machine. I've never told anyone this before. Look, Sir Ian, you have three minutes to get out of this house. Or else? Or else you're going to be shot. At this point, a truck with a ladder turns up. The actual window cleaner. And a shadowy figure closes the door on Elizabeth. Mm, who could that be? Ian, I didn't see this going this way, actually, this scene. But Ian suddenly says, yes, I believe you, Slade. I was an undersecretary in the Department of Science, and I knew Frederick Turner, or knew of him. The Einstein-Rosen Bridge, it was his way of constructing a path through time. We've got two minutes. Uh, my wife is downstairs. Don't worry about your wife. You're the one in danger, Sir Ian. Right. Wait a minute. What? I thought I heard something. Where? Out there. Ah. So that, this was a really exciting little twist for me. I was like, oh, wow. He knows about time travel and he knows about Frederick Turner. But then, just as we think, oh, yeah, he's on side. Jeff turns around, gets clobbered over the back of the head by Sir Ian with a candlestick. Clonked. So this is what I don't really get. Is he pretending? Is he saying, oh, yeah, time travel, yeah, brilliant. I'll look over there. Or does he really know about time travel and he's just trying to stop the truth getting out? Or like, I mean, even if you don't believe the time travel thing, this is still a police officer. So why? You can't get away with that. Maybe he thinks he's lying. And yeah, he's stolen it. He's a crazy person. Yeah, I guess it could be. I don't maybe, know. maybe. Anyway, this is where he leaves the message. And I've not gone back and checked whether it's the same, exact same one. So I'm going to play them both at the same time now. And we'll find out. My name's Hawkins. Sir Ian Hawkins. Look, I want you to send someone around right away. I've got this madman madman here in the house. He's really mad. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. No, is the answer. But he leaves his message. There's a madman in the house, Jeff. Um, (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Jeff is the madman. I mean, we kind of suspected that anyway at the beginning. I thought if there's a madman involved, Jeff stays not far behind. But what cuts him off is the actual madman in the house who comes in and shoots 
And there we go, R.I.P. Sir Ian Hawkins. And we see Ian's face. He has so much emotion on his face, I think, in that last shot. Mm. As if to say, he was right. Ah. <laughs> Oops. So Slade wakes up, sees the blood stain on the carpet. Yeah, blood stain on the carpet, like in Slade Criminal. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You've been hit by, you've been struck by a candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> um, the truck speeds off doesn't see who it is but he does get a mm. license plate remembers it I mean I've forgotten it and I've watched this about five times he puts the candlestick back with his gloves on he's learning again and we see Lady Hawkins discovering Ian from a different angle which I always like when they do this uh, she doesn't really seem bothered she phones the police and she's very straight faced about it Elizabeth Hawkins no Lady Hawkins. It's my husband. He's been shot. Hello, is that the police? Oh, my yes, my husband. I'm afraid he's been shot in the head. Oh dear. If you could just pop round. <laughs> and then <laughs> Jeff escapes down the ladder. <laughs> One step, two step. Oh, forget this. Sliding down. Slide. And runs. So the police do arrive. Mm. They're chasing him here. So he's running away. He gets to a, a wall at the end of the property, jumps over to get away, but drops the watch. Oh, my oh. God. Slade! That design floor, Holly. Do you know what? As he was running, I did think, oh, yeah, he is kind of nondescript, isn't he? <laughs> so, fair enough. <laughs> but anyway, we've got real jeopardy now. Slade hasn't realised, by the way. We should point that out. So, he goes back to the mm-hmm. station. Stupid. As always, going back to the office. And inputs the car registration details. So the car belongs to a Robert Mather, Studio Valbon, 26 Lock Street. And then there's a postcode, BU234CY. So it's meant to be set in London, though, isn't mm-hmm. it? Crime Traveller. I know we're not exactly clear on where. Yeah, so it's weird that we're calling it BU. Because there is fake London postcodes, like EastEnders is E20, isn't it, for instance? Yeah, BU isn't anything, according no. to a quick search. Oh, if only it had been CT. Yeah, CT would have been good. Slade's using a nice old computer. Brought back memories. Old operating system, old computer. Ergonomic keyboard, mm. I realised. Them bendy ones that are split, you know, with the gap in the middle. Not seen them in a while. Yeah. Holly comes in. Holly. What are you doing? Uh, just uh, checking something out. How's the second stain coming along? Bit personal, Jeff. <laughs> Holly says, I told you a minute ago. Uh-oh. Oh, Jeff put his foot in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, of course we did. Yeah, no, I, I remember now. <clears throat> this is where it's getting a bit tricky yeah. for Jeff, because I don't think he realises how close Jeff is to getting in a lot of trouble here. Oh, God, yeah. Or maybe bumping into himself. Yeah, he's seconds away, really, isn't he? Yeah, so Jeff tries to make a getaway. Well, yeah, you said I've got to work it out myself, so yeah, I'm working out myself. So anyway, I've got things to look at, bye. Jumps out the window. Yeah, <laughs> bye. But before he goes, just tells Holly to keep an eye on Morris. Morris? Yeah. He was listening on us just now. I don't know why. Well, you don't think he knows about the machine, do you? Oh, I doubt it. Anyway, we're not going to use the machine, are we? So there's nothing to worry about. Holly is suspicious of Morris and, more importantly, Jeff. Mm. But I don't think she puts it together here uh, at all. I think she just thinks he's being really weird. We cut to Morris eating a pen. <laughs> Writing down, Kessler. 
I would have liked it if he'd had a bit of ink on his lip or on his teeth. <laughs> Yummy pen. Um, Big. So, yeah, he sees Slade exiting Holly's office and goes to follow him. Yep. But gets slightly confused when he sees... <laughs> it's fantastic. So, Morris sees Slade leave the building, but then the lift doors open, and Morris also sees Slade standing quite nonchalantly in a lift. Yeah. So he follows them... <laughs> down to the car park and sees Jeff in his typical outfit that he always wears so he can't be mistaken sees him getting into his car and then from behind him Slade appears Morris can't believe it Morris here is absolutely dumbfounded rightly so as well yes he's having a mental breakdown <laughs> I need to have a sick day <laughs> um, yeah I do like this I would have liked to have seen a bit more of it to be honest so they both Jeff's go and Morris is left scratching his head and what the hell going on? Nicky goes to see Holly mm-hmm. uh, he's found a very strange thing at Surian's house Slade sent me back to Hawkins place the, the, the minister to check up on the man the local police saw running away after the murder anyway I decided to have a scout around the garden just in case and I found something rather strange here look. looks like some kind of watch not like any watch I've ever seen. Slade. And of course, he unseals this little plastic bag and very carefully slides it out to Holly. Holly immediately gets her dabs on it, runs away with it. <laughs> so this thing, this thing that Nikki's specially put in an evidence bag to protect it. She does a nice Slade. She's going to kill him. She looks like she wants to actually rip his balls off. But then it does change to concern quite quickly because I think she starts to realise, oh no, he's going to be in trouble. She can't tell Nikki exactly what it is, obviously, but she's like, this is important. This needs to get back to Jeff. So Nikki goes with her. Holly asks some people, some new characters, where Jeff is. And there's a bit of a dispute because some people saw him in the lift. Some people saw him on the stairs. Lift, stairs, lift, stairs. Holly realises, obviously, at this point... I'm not four hours left when I'm at the lecture. What lecture? I don't believe it. How could he? Holly, what is the matter? Nikki, we have to find him without this watch. What? But how does she know that she isn't also back in time with Jeff? Yeah. There might be another Holly running around as well. She might have dropped it. Exactly. She's had her arm twisted before, if it's something really important. Maybe. I think she's fairly confident that she would not have done that this time. Yeah, anyway. I mean, she's dead right, though, because it is Jeff. But <laughs> they try to have a look on his computer. Yeah, but they can't get the information back. So it's a bit of a, a dead end. If you left it on, maybe we could have accessed his last entry. Damn him! I don't understand. Look, Nikki, you're going to have to trust me. Slade could be in a lot of trouble. Is it the watch? Yes, this is Slade's watch, and he ought to have it. We have to find him. How are we going to do that? solving the case. So her and Nikki pair up because she obviously hasn't got anything else to do that day. So the biggest burning question that Holly has is why would Ian help Kirby? Why? What was in it for Ian? Mm. There's more to this than meets the eye. A-I-N. Slade is a Studio Valbon. Studio Valbon. Where the fans registered to. And that's where we head next. Looks like an old nightclub. Derelict, boarded up. But it's got like a flat or something upstairs because there's a little creepy face in the window. 
Slade goes into it, and it looks like he's gone into the crystal maze. Yeah, it's, it's very industrial zone, isn't it? It's like, like... Quite, it's a bit like a cave, futuristic wires everywhere, colours, very odd, or quasar. Uh. <laughs> There's some quite obvious footsteps dubbed on, <laughs> but they don't quite line up. Yeah, it's very bad. So Robert appears, and Slade again says, I'm police. Hello, I'm the police. I'm police. Robert! Robert Mather? Yeah. I'm with the police. I'm a detective. You have a van registration number D203NVS. It was you, wasn't it? You were the window cleaner at Sir Ian's house. And then Robert pulls a gun on Slade. Mm. Slade doesn't seem too concerned again that he's having a gun pointed at him. No. He even says to him, you're not going to use that. Yeah, well, that is to his detriment. Yeah. Because... You shoot me, they'll send someone else. If you shoot them, then someone else will come. And where will that get you? My department knows where I am. I have to report back at six o'clock. He looks at his watch. It's not there. And then he shits his pants. I mean, there's a real look of fear on his face. Yeah, and then he goes, right, okay, things are serious now, Robert. Um, we've got to work together to find this watch. You start in that corner, I'll start in this corner. I mean, we all know that feeling, don't we, where we go look for our mobile and it's gone. Yeah, I went all the way into town today and didn't bring my wallet with me. I was like, oh, oh no. Rooting around in pockets that I knew definitely didn't have my wallet in them. Yes. Oh, no. Okay, Robert, this is serious. Now enough's enough. I need to find the watch, so put that... Robert says, no, thank you, in the form of shooting him in the leg. <laughs> he's not the best actor, this guy, is he? he he's okay. Um... Ooh, you've changed a lot since we first recorded this. <laughs> oh, he's a bit retech, yeah. He's, he's not great. Yeah. You can tell he's trying hard. He's gone, oh, yeah, this is a complex character. I'm going I'm to reach for a hug. Anyway, we cut back to the Big Box Co. Mm-hmm. Nikki and Holly have gone to the Big Box Co. Uh, nice little partnership here, I think, with Holly and, and Nikki, to be honest. It's uh, different. Uh, we see the woman from earlier who is packing her belongings because she's got fired. Kirby's fired her. Got a bit spooked by all the police asking him questions. Raided raided the petty cash and fled. <laughs> Monica Cox, she's called. Cox. Monica Cox. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? It's like, why did she say it like that? It's weird. She sounds like she's embarrassed saying it. Like, yes, I know. Yeah, Cox. Yes, I know. Cox. Monica Cox. Miss Cox, have you ever met a man called Sir Ian Hawkins? Oh, I never met him. But I know him. I know about his money, anyway. He's an investor. He's a bloody idiot. God knows how Kirby got him to put his cash into this. He must have lost thousands. So the business never worked? Well, would you put one of these things in your back garden? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a man ahead of his time. If he was doing that business now, he'd be raking it in. Oh, my God. Now let me tell you something. My girlfriend, before we lived together... Mm-hmm lived in a nice house that had a phone box in the garden as an ornament mm. with an old post box next to it. Very nice. There wasn't anything in it. It was just cobwebs and all that. But yeah, it was great. He was a visionary, old Lawrence, because I've looked at how much these things are going for and it's a lot. I mean, yeah, they're only going to get more expensive as well. That's the thing. They're not going to get cheaper. I'd like the one in my back garden that's got the toilet in it. That'd be quite handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just nipping off to make a quick call of nature 
we then hear him driving off on his motorbike. So they give chase. Yeah. Very action-packed. Yeah, they, they're like wheel-to-wheel with him, trying to like bump him off the road and under a lorry and all that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a bit of a chase and Holly manages to cut him off and he falls off his bike and slides into a mechanics and he falls underneath a raised car that's on some hydraulics. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a pathetic bump, but never mind. He can't move for some reason, so I think it's implied that he's actually got crushed by it, but nobody in the garage stops and helps him. <laughs> They're just like twiddling their thumbs in the background. Ooh, what's going on? For some reason, Holly Holly's lost it here. Mm. Um, for the second time this series, Holly has gone rogue. More rogue than Jeff. She is threatening to crush Kirby under a car if he doesn't tell her what's going on. Ah, what you bloody doing? You could have killed me. We haven't started yet. Where were you going in such a hurry? It's not your business. Who are you, anyway? What? You're crazy. What are you doing? Tell me about Hawkins. How did you get him to invest? It was business. Don't lie to me. You knew something about him, didn't you? No. Where else would he go into partnership with someone like you? No, you got it all wrong. Uh, stop! What are you doing? <laughs> oh, oh, hey, this look. is completely contrary to normal police procedure. All right, all right, you're right. Get me out of here. You're going to kill me. Tell me. So what she does is gets the control for the hydraulic car um, lift and lowers the car closer and closer to Kirby, who, as we said, can't move. So she's basically, like, torturing him a little bit for information, which isn't good. I mean, some people pay a lot of money for that now, don't they? And I thought Nicky was going to wet himself because he looked scared of Holly here, doesn't he? Oh, Nicky's like, um, I don't think we should be doing this, Holly. Uh, this is the kind of thing, if we're talking about an AC-12 sort of investigation, this is exactly the kind of thing which comes back to bite them in the arse. When they're talking to someone, they go, well, that <laughs> evidence is inadmissible. Imagine her just going, well, yeah, yes, he, he did say this and that, but I was lowering a car into his head. <laughs> So anyway, she gets some info off him. Kirby spills the beans. Although he's still, this is the thing, he's still on a couple of things goes, I don't know. Okay, I do know. Like, just why would you even chance it? (laughs) This is where we find out the crux of the story. Turns out that Sir Ian was having an affair with a, a woman. Back in the day. Yeah, called Janet Mather, who was Mm -hmm. a, a waitress who worked at Studio Valbon. So they had an affair, and Kirby's basically trying to blackmail Ian. But what proof of this affair could they have 20 years later? She had a kid! Grown-up kid! What was the name? Bob. Bob Mather. Robert Mather. Robert? The window cleaner. Okay, Nicky, pull him out and look after him. What about you? Less than two hours. I'm going to find Slade. So it all ties together. It doesn't say necessarily here that he's an illegitimate son. Well, it's implied, isn't it? But it's not actually explicit that they are related. It's just she had a kid, a grown-up kid, like Benjamin Button. (laughs) So he became the window cleaner of his dad, who was a strange dad, in order to get close to him to shoot him. It was a long game. (laughs) So she's got all the info she needs. So see you later. Enjoy your broken legs, Kirby. I mean, really, this should have ended with, you know, sometimes when people get all the information they want and then they just kill them anyway. That's how it should have ended. Cheers, Kirby. <laughs> Crushed. Um, so, I wonder how Slade's getting on with his investigation. <laughs> so we cut back to Slade, who is 
parcel taped to a pillar. <laughs> Ooh, parcel tape's the worst as well. When that gets around you, you can't break that, can you really? Okay. You've tied me up and you've shot me. What do you do when you really get angry? Why did you kill Hawkins? For what he did. To you? To my mum. And to me. What did he do? He didn't do anything. He ignored her. She was sick. He could have helped her, but he didn't even return her calls. He did nothing! 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 I nothing. Weirdest accent I've ever heard. Yeah, very strange acting. He would be perfect cast as, like, an alien that came to Earth and assumed a human form. <laughs> didn't understand. Yeah, like, do you remember Men in Black 1, the first one? Yeah. And, and that guy who um, had the alien inside of him. Yeah, that guy. And the cockroaches came out of him. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's like him. It's a weird thing, isn't it, that this is an old derelict nightclub. They live in the flat above, by the way, we find out from Kirby earlier. But behind Robert in this very tense scene where he's having mental anguish, there's just a big disco ball behind his head <laughs> when he's going insane, acting his little socks on. Anyway, Robert explains that his mum is dead. Slay's just trying to get himself released. He's going, look, I'll, I'll help you. It's fine, just, you've got, you've got to let me go. You're in too deep. Come on, let me go. I don't want to be pushy about this, but I've got a very important appointment at six o'clock. Now, shut up. What are you going to do? Just leave me here? Come on. This is crazy. I need to think. Yeah, that's it. You think, Robert. You think, Robert, and then can you let me go and maybe I can find a way to help you? I need to think! That's like the end of Act 1 of a school play, isn't it? Where the light's going, Oh, he's good, isn't he, that man? Oh, very powerful performance. Very, very loud. Meanwhile, we cut to a very thrilling scene of Holly just reading an A to Z at a roundabout. It's gripping this. In real time. So, Robert's not done with Slade yet. He can't let the police find him. No, he's going to turn the gas on. And smash it so it stays on. Yeah. He's going to toast Jeff alive. Jeff is going to die. Destroying all evidence except for a black hair which floated out. <laughs> and some O-positive blood which was splattered across the wall. So anyway, Holly's turned up. Holly's at the door. Robert goes to get it. Yeah. And then he gags Slade. And actually, I think, to be fair to the actor, when he's pretending to be nice, he does take on a completely different kind of personality-ish. I'm looking for someone who lives here. No one lives here. Her name's Janet Mather. She's gone. What happened to Janet Mather? She died three days ago. Did you know her? Are you sure about that? Robert. <laughs> Robert attacks Holly quite viciously. This is really violent. Robert clonks her across the head with a spanner, like in the face. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm laughing, but it's absolutely insane. I mean, it's a, really shocking. But you know what? Like father, like illegitimate son, eh? Yes, exactly. But luckily Holly's all right, and she goes to the skip nearby and gets some metal out of it or something and prizes the door open, tries to. And then another good shot as well, as Robert's, like, driving his van away, he... 
tries to run her down. Tries to mow her down. She nearly gets flanned, and it's very, very close. It's great. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like about a lot of what goes on here. Yeah. The action bits, good. Really good. Um, anyway, he's gone. Holly's fine. She can't get the door open. Then she goes through another door that's just boarded up, not really secured, and she manages to get in. And then she finds... Oh, God. She finds Slade bleeding to death and being gassed and due to explode into a million pieces. And she tries to fix the gas. She can't do it. I suppose once you let gas out, it's very hard to put it back in. Um, she just thinks, I'll oh, sod it. I'm going to smash a bottle. Cuts the tape that Jeff tied with. Yeah, considering how she's feeling about Slade at the moment, I'm surprised she didn't use it on him. What, to slice his neck? <laughs> yeah. So they get out just in time. And then there's a very impressive explosion. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Boom, just in time. Big explosion. Yeah. Perfect for opening credits. I'll do that one day. I might I might edit a new <laughs> a new title sequence. That exploding car that time. This. Parkour. Morris's face. Perfect. We could have got a fantastic A-team style introduction sequence to the whole thing in the first episode using all of these shots. And we would have been like, wow, that was good. Yeah, so they get out unscathed, luckily, more or less. Holly has got the watch, and we know because it beeps louder than the explosion, pretty much. You've got the watch? Yes, I've got the watch. Look, I can explain. You can and you will. We're not here. We've got now to get back. Come on. I mean, why couldn't it beep that loud when it came off his wrist? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we're outside Sundown Court. Slade's hopping along. Ooh, he's lost a lot of blood. In fact, Holly says that. God, you've lost a lot of blood. Are you really angry with me? I'm too worried to be angry. We have to get you back to the machine. Once you're on the other timeline, this won't have happened. You'll be okay. As long as they get to the machine in time, the wounds will all be back to normal, which is good. No, and that is a good thing, because any longer, Jeff would be dead. Mm. Um, but this is good, because it was set up, obviously, in episode one, even, when he's cut to spear. But to use it as, like, I need to have these wounds undone in order to mm-hmm. survive, that's a clever thing. But he can't get into Sundown Court, because there is somebody out there waiting, and that is Morris. Morris, who's in his car, as we remember from earlier. He's got to somehow divert Morris's attention. Holly says, leave it to me. And... <laughs> She does the bin lid. She's the bin lid for Morris, isn't she? Yep. Yes. Flings one in the air and bloody works. Gives Jeff just the amount of time to limp along. (laughs) And luckily Holly can just sneak off down the back of the building. So Slade bumps into Danny again. Yep. Didn't you? I just... uh, uh, I mean, he must be bored of saying that. Mr. Slade... Weren't you upstairs? Which I think Danny would believe, because I'd believe it if Jeff said that. <laughs> I fell out the window, yeah. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, so yes, he goes. He's got to go in on his own. And this is the one. I knew he'd get more and more slack with getting back to the machine. But this, <laughs> this is literally the exact second. He just avoids the loop of infinity. Holly obviously has to stand outside. She can't go in with him, yeah. which is interesting. So Holly is greeted by... A hundred percent fixed, Jeff. It's great. He's like Woo-hoo. slapping his leg. Don't worry, Holly. Everything's fine. All better now. But no, 
he can't laugh his way out of this one because Holly's really pissed off. Oh, no, yeah, she was really serious. It was really well acted. And um, she outright bans the use of the time machine. And not only that, she's worked out everything that he's worked out. All you need is torture. Okay, then. Tell me, why did you do it? Because I wanted to know. To know what? That Hawkins was murdered by his illegitimate son? That he was being blackmailed by Kirby? Is that what you wanted to know? How did you find out? I worked it out. It can be done. Holly. How could you? You steal in here, invading my privacy. You use my machine without my permission. And you almost get yourself killed in the bargain. How could you? I don't suppose sorry will do. No, sorry will not do. It won't even start. That's it. You can do whatever you like, but you are never, never using my machine again. Fair enough, because this is the thing. You can't really go back from this, in my mind. He broke into her house. He used a machine that she forbade him from using. Um, lost the watch. Nearly got himself killed. I mean, stop being friends with him. <laughs> like, <laughs> when she slams the door on him, Jeff still looks puzzled as if to say, like, Holly, hang on. Did you just say I couldn't use the machine again? Huh? <laughs> Even then, he's not taking it seriously. No. Anyway, so that is their relationship left on a bit of a cliffhanger. Mm. But we're not finished yet. No, we're not finished. We're not finished. Um, because Robert's being led into the station in cuffs and Grisham's just going over what we know already about what he did. But here we get the culmination of the Gareth Keenan investigation. And it's a great investigation, isn't it? It's not entirely clear, Chief, but I believe Slade is in contact with an organisation of informers calling themselves The Machine. The Machine? The Machine is based somewhere outside the city. Slade has to travel to get to it. Holly Turner is part of The Machine. I've got a couple of names. Kessler and Newton. I think they meet sometimes around her flat. Morris sounds absolutely crazy. Well, yeah. But from the minute he says crime organisation called The Machine, she's almost shaking her head and rolling her eyes already. That's not so far-fetched that he's working with a crime organisation. I I think the point that she loses it is when he says that Jeff Slade either has a twin or a clone. I believe Slade has a double. A what? A double. Maybe it's a twin brother. But when Slade is meeting the machine, the double stands in for him here. I feel for Morris a bit here, because one, obviously, part of this is true, that he did see two Jeffs, but it's not the worst theory in the world. It needs a bit of work, but it's not impossible, is it, to have a twin? We know for a fact there's a man in a wig that doubles for Michael French, seamlessly. They could just ask some people at work, didn't you say you saw him in the lift and you saw him at the stairs at the same time and that kind of thing? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, we did, yeah, he was in two places at once. Good confirmation. Well, Morris, your theory is the biggest load of nonsense I have heard in 27 years of policing. You are an idiot, Morris. An incompetent idiot. Yes, Chief. Well, you know what, Grisham? You explain it, then. I mean, more bloody fool her for putting him on in the first place. What did she expect? Well, I mean, you almost cracked it. That's what... <laughs> right, yeah. 
I mean, I, mean, I mean, he got as far as you can get without actually invoking the concept of time travel. Yeah. If she'd have kept him on it a bit longer, I've no doubt super genius Morris would have got it. Maybe. But we'll never know because he's taken off mm. the investigation. <laughs> and that's it. So we just end on yeah. Grisham rolling her eyes. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> what a weird episode this is. The tone of it is completely all over the place. You've got the, the most comical moments out of the whole series so far, mm. interspersed with like some quite intense acting and explosions and blackmail and all this kind of thing. Yeah, it's all, it is all over the place. And, and there is a point where you go, is this still the same episode? Yeah. Because it is, there is a weird juxtaposition of, as you say, comedy and action. Shame for it to be a bit disappointing, but they can't all be gold, can they? I enjoyed it. I don't think it's a bad episode. There's some good concepts in it and there's some exciting moments. And I like the fact that Slade, one, loses the watch because we've discussed that before, that that would be bad if you have to have... That's an integral part of getting back in time. And it's not just to tell them how long they've got. It is literally a component of the time machine that breaks the loop of infinity. Yeah, that is good. But I just... I feel that Jeff just comes across as a complete arsehole. He just... He does betray Holly, and it's upsetting to see if he's meant to be the hero of it. Yeah, he is. Throughout all this, he's he's making jokes. It's like he's just woke up on the wrong side of the bed, to be yeah. honest, for this this whole day. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the concept of losing the watch, that could have happened in any of the episodes, really. didn't have to be that Jeff was being irresponsible. It could have just been that they were both together, and, oh, my God, we just realised it's, you know, the watch is gone for whatever reason when they're trying to make an escape, but... There is loads to get your teeth into. The crime's not important. However, I, I feel maybe the crime should have been more important. We're now on episode six. I feel that some of these crimes could have been more varied. That's my takeaway from a lot of this theory so far. Yeah, I feel that some of it is retreading old ground a little bit. It was a bit samey, wasn't it? We've got the mansion. We've got the old man shot. And mm. no one knows, right? We've got just one of them going back, like Holly when she went back on her own and couldn't tell Jeff. Mm. Yeah, we don't go anywhere. And I would have liked to have gone somewhere with... Um, obviously, Slade's dad hasn't shown up, um, which is a bit disappointing. Yeah, he's just forgotten about it completely. <laughs> which is a shame. What I, what I will say, I think there's a, a good partnership with, with Michael French and Chloe Annette. Uh, I'm liking Chloe Annette's development of the character here. The anger that she's exploring with it, I hope we get to see more of that. Um, I hope she just doesn't forgive him straight away. Hmm. I also like that it's Holly doing the rescuing in this episode. Holly getting him out of trouble, her showing her wits and actual detective experience, even though that's not her job. You know, she should definitely get a pay rise again. Yeah. So, there we go. We've got over the hurdle. It's plain sailing from here on in. Plain sailing, my friend. No spoilers, but we've got two crackers coming up to round off the series. Can't wait till next week. Yeah. If you've spotted anything at all, ever, in your life... Contact us at antanickpressplay at gmail.com. Search us on Facebook or tweet us at antnickpressplay. We're gearing up now for the 25th anniversary. Yeah. So we hope to be sort of being a bit more active around that time. And let's see if we can't get a retweet from Richard Dempsey, Nicky Robson. I mean, Richard Dempsey's all in on this. Um, mm. Do you think he's listened? I doubt it because he just I think he just liked a lot of crime traveller stuff, but he's obviously searched for the crime traveller hashtag and this is the thing. If we can get him searching for hashtag crime traveller twenty five next year, then he may very well listen. So 
<laughs> Don't take anything personally, Richard. It's all in jest. <sighs> so, join us next time for the lottery experiment. It could be you listening. In the meantime, have a look at Dalek6388. Have a look at TARDISBuilders.com. Have a look out the window. See what's happening. So, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Uh, me. I mean, me. Take care, everyone. Till next time. Peace out. Bye. Woolworths? Woolworths? Look at all these gifts from Woolworths. Not now, Woolworths.